Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. All right, well, let's uh, jump into the message today. One of one of my wife's favorite time-killing pastimes is doing puzzles. One of <laughs> there you go. One of my favorite time-killing pastimes is complaining about her doing puzzles. Because I never understood why you would invest so much time to recreate something that's already on the box. It's like, I already know what it's going to look like. Why would I do it? Well, years ago when our kids were little, she started this multi-thousand-plus-piece puzzle. Uh, And uh, one of our children, well, let's be honest, we know which child it was. Because every family has that child who thinks it'll be funny to take one piece out of the thousand-piece puzzle, Right? If one child took one piece away, and my wife worked on it for a long time, and uh, when it came time to finish, the last piece was not there. And the house was torn upside down. I kept saying, who cares? It's one stupid piece, which is apparently not what you say to a puzzler. Because you don't sleep well until that last piece is dropped into place. And so the house was torn upside down, because no one could rest until you found the missing piece. All that to say, we're on our new series called Missing Peace, but P-E-A-C-E, where we have been searching not for a puzzle piece, but for the peace of God in our situations. We've been talking about finding peace with our past. We asked the question, how long do you plan on dragging the angst of your past into your future? Another way we could ask it is, How do we ensure that next time won't be like last time? Because nobody wants to repeat last time, right? And so we kind of broke that down. We asked the question, is that if your new, uh, is your new relationship beginning to look a lot like your old relationship? Uh, Or if your new finances are beginning to look like your old finances, or if your new situation is beginning to feel like your old situation, then maybe you really never have dealt with your past to keep your past in the past, and instead your past keeps creeping into the present. We talked about finding peace in our present circumstances, even when life is somewhat chaotic. We said that peace ultimately is not a what, but peace is a who. We said that peace is not the absence of whatever you would put in that blank, chaos, stress, relational strife, but peace is the presence of someone, Jesus, who is greater than that chaos, relational strife, or stress. We talked about the power of interpretation. We talked about the power of anticipation, anticipating that God has a future and a purpose for you, anticipating that tomorrow will be better than today. Well, on our final week of Missing Peace, I want to talk about being a peacemaker uh, and what that looks like, because it seems today that we are moving toward a society uh, that is increasingly angry and uh, easily offended. It seems like everyone is offended by everything. We, our lives in this country are so good that the thing that upsets us the most is what so-and-so said on social media. Half the world doesn't have access to clean water, but I'm upset by your tweet, right? I'm offended by what you said. Uh, What you said offended me. Or what about this one? What you didn't say offended me. I received an email recently that someone was upset because apparently I didn't say what they wanted me to say. True story. 
Listen, I've been in trouble for things that I've said. I've had people leave the church for things that I've said. But now I have to worry about what I didn't say that someone wanted me to say. And so I offended them by something that I, I, that I didn't say that they thought I should say. Or I'm offended by what you did or what you didn't do. Or I'm offended by what you believe. Or here's one, I'm offended by who you voted for. How about this one? If you voted for so-and-so, just unfriend me, right? We've all seen that one. It seems like we are becoming increasingly angry and increasingly uh, 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 sectioned off uh, in our society, in our country. Did you know that in 2017, the angry face emoji outpaced all other new emojis released for that year? Angry, I'm angry, just angry face emoji, right? And anger, it appears to be a public epidemic. It's everywhere. Don't believe me. Try cutting someone off today on your way out of the parking lot. See how that's going to go, right? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, not going to happen. Listen to this. According to Jean Kim, a psychiatrist for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and assistant professor of Georgetown University, he says this. He says that anger is addictive, that it feels good and overrides moral and rational responses because it originates in the part of the brain that responds automatically and is directly connected to the fight or flight response system. It controls adrenaline rushes, including those fueled by anger. He says, outrage gives us an unhappy high that we crave, that we, tr- uh, that we keep trying to replicate. He's saying that, is it possible that we've become addicted to an unhealthy emotion and we are perpetually chasing the next angry high? We are controversy junkies, is what he's saying. That we look for opportunity to be involved in a dispute because it's feeding an emotion in us that we have become addicted to. Meanwhile, Jesus offers us this. Matthew 5.9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Just breathe that in for a moment. Blessed are the peacemakers, Not blessed are the religious, for they will be called the children of God. It's not blessed are those who are always right, for they will be called the children of God. It's not blessed are the political left or the political right. It is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the sons. They will be the daughters of God. Jesus is telling us how to build a successful life. He says, happy are the reconcilers. Fortunate are those who can walk into a pressure-filled situation and release the tension. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons and daughters of God. Let me ask you a question. Where have all of our peacemakers gone? Where are the Christ followers who sow into peace? Where are those that represent Jesus by pulling together instead of pushing us apart? Here's my suggestion. What if we start off 2019 by allowing the words of Jesus to wash over us? Blessed are the peacemakers, for you will be the son and daughter of God. Let's pray this morning as we jump in. Lord, some good words that you have for us today about being a peacemaker and sowing into peace and the idea of humility and lowering ourselves. And so, as always, we pray, speak to us through your word today. Reveal to us who it is that 
we need to humble ourselves before, where we need to step in to be a peacemaker. Come, have your way among us this morning. Teach us and speak to us and transform us and change us. Lord, for our offering, uh, pray a blessing uh, upon uh, our finances, even as we give to you, first and foremost, to put you first in all things. And we bless you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 13 today. It's known as the Upper Room Discourse. It's the Last Supper. It's Jesus gathering his disciples together to give, him, to give them his final departing words. And so I want to give us some ideas of what is required to be a peacemaker. Here, here's the first one. Becoming a peacemaker requires you to love those who fail you. Look at John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Understand that nothing caught Jesus off guard. That as his trial and arrest and crucifixion approached, he was not just an unwilling participant in the script, he was actually the author of the script. He understood that his time was short, meaning his arrest, his trial, crucifixion, bearing the weight of the sins of the world placed upon him, he understood his purpose and understood what he was moving toward. Every sharp word, every selfish deed, every form of intolerance and bigotry, every lie spoken, every evil evil act, every wrong ever perpetrated, all of it placed upon him so that we would be able to be reconciled to God. He paid the penalty for our sin. That's what 2 Corinthians talks about in chapter 5 where it says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us meaning he became my sin on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. Why? So that I might become the righteousness of God. So John tells us that Jesus knew fully that his hour had come, his hour of suffering had come. And you'd hope that after spending three years with his disciples, every day, day in and day out, that his disciples would rally around to support him during his time of need. You'd think someone would get up from the dinner table, put their hand on Jesus' shoulder and say, what do you need? What can we do? What's required of us? How how can we help you? How can we support you? Instead, Luke's gospel gives the account of the upper room and Luke adds a little something in that John leaves out where Luke says this in chapter 22. He says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So here is Jesus gathering his disciples for the Last Supper, telling him what is about to happen, his arrest and his crucifixion, and you would hope that his crew would gather around him. In 24 hours, he will be in the tomb. And what are his disciples doing? Arguing over who will be in charge when he leaves. If there was ever a time to be at peace, now was it. Your leader was leaving, literally dying. They didn't understand the resurrection part. All they knew is their leader was being taken away. You, you would hope that his inner circle would rally, but they're too busy posturing to climb the corporate ladder. It was a failure. How do you respond when someone fails you? How do you respond when someone doesn't 
uh, uh, treat you the way that you deserve? How do you respond when someone doesn't respond, believe, behave the way that you think they should? How do you respond when you've been wronged or when you've been offended? Jesus was obviously wronged at this moment. We're going to see how he responds in just a moment. But I think there's four ways that we can respond uh, in conflict, four ways out of conflict. Let me just touch on them quickly. The first one is you can fight your way out. Is maybe that's your method. Maybe, hey, if you push me, I'm going to punch back. My mom used to tell us when we were little that if I don't want you in a fight, but if you ever get in a fight, throw the first punch and keep swinging until they stop moving. And my mom, she's a Chicago girl, so understand that's the way it rolled back then, right? I'm not giving that advice to you. But maybe that's how you respond. Maybe you throw the first punch. Or maybe you say, I don't throw the first punch, but boy, if they swing, I'll just keep swinging right back. Remember when you were a kid and you'd kind of do this swing and punch thing? Like, if you get in my way, it's your own fault. Right? I didn't mean to hit you, but you got too close. Right? Maybe, maybe that's how you respond. Do you, do you fight your way out under pressure? Or, or maybe you don't fight with fists. Maybe you fight with your words. Maybe your tongue is a weapon. Maybe it's the original Ginsu knife. It chops, slices, dices, right? All of that. Can, can you use your tongue as a... Maybe that's how you respond in conflict. Do you fight your way out with words? That if you offend me, I will let you know exactly how I feel. Usually from behind a computer screen, but I will let you know exactly how I feel. You fight with your words. Do you have to get in the last word? Yeah, but if I don't get in the last word, they're going to think that they want... Who cares already? Right? Maybe you fight. Here's, here's another way we can... We can out of, get out of conflict, maybe you flee. We can just head for the hills, cut and run, detached, block them from Facebook, change your number, change jobs, change churches, move to another city. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe you flee. Here's another option. We could give up. We just stop trying altogether. We determine it's not worth the effort because they will never change. Here's an option that is seldom thought of. What about if we humble ourselves? I want us to look at how Jesus responds when those closest to him fail him. Look at John 13. 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, catch this phrase, he loved them to the end. Can you love those who failed you? Can you love those who do not respond the way that they should have responded. Catch this, Jesus is headed to the cross, his heart is heavy, his disciple, his crew is worried about who will be in charge when he leaves, as if they're, they're, they're arguing as if the next chapter is being written about them. No one would have blamed Jesus if he just went off on these guys. No one would have blamed Jesus if he was like, really? Three years of miracles and this is how you respond? No one would blame it if he went off on Peter and said, Peter, I, I healed your mother-in-law. I brought her back from death's door. Now, Peter's probably thinking, I never asked for that one. <laughs> All right? That was on you, right? I could see him looking at John saying, John, you were part of my inner three. You saw and heard things that the others were not privileged to. And this is how you respond. Bartholomew, you are even lucky to be here with a stupid name like that. Who names their kid Bartholomew? Right? I could see him going off on him. And yet, he doesn't do any of that. I wouldn't blame him if he did, but that little phrase, he loved them to the end. 
even in their failure. Let me give you some good news on this last Sunday of 2018. Jesus will love you to the end. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of how many times you failed, regardless of what 2018 looks like, regardless of what 2019 looks like, Jesus will love you till the end. My hope is that type of love is a love that you want to respond to. And that is the type of love that you want to invest your life in, receiving and pursuing. So if you want to be a peacemaker, if I want to be a peacemaker, we will, need to lo- we will need to love when it's hardest to love. And that includes loving those who fail us by not responding in the way that we think they should. Here's my second thought. Becoming a peacemaker requires you to humble yourself when it's personal and painful. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Last supper with his disciples. And his betrayer is at the table. Now we're a few hours away from creation betraying its creator. Possibly nothing more personal than being betrayed by someone you loved and you trusted. And what's interesting is that this isn't a I didn't see that coming moment. Jesus was fully aware that his betrayer was at the table, and yet we're going to see how Jesus humbled himself even to someone who would betray him. He's in the room with a guy who would turn him over to be crucified, and he knew it. Three years with Judas, front row to all of the miracles, ate at the same table, slept in the same camp for 36 months, and now he stabs him in the back. Who would blame Jesus if he went off on Judas? Like if he did this, that Raiders of the Lost Ark face melt type stuff, just looked at him and, right? I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't think any less of him if he went off on him. I wouldn't blame Jesus if if, if he dismissed Judas from the room, right? Because he's getting ready to wash the feet of his disciples. I wouldn't blame him if he looked at Judas and said, I ain't touching your feet. Out. I wouldn't think any less of him if he did something like that. And yet Jesus humbles himself when it was personal and painful and he washes the feet of his betrayer. Let me ask. Where do you need to humble yourself today? Who's offended you? Who's failed you? Maybe someone's betrayed you. And perhaps the words of Jesus are settling upon your heart today, saying that 2019 is the year of you being a peacemaker. And for that to happen, you will need to love those who have failed you. And for that to happen, you will need to humble yourself when it's painful and personal. Because blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who humble themselves when it's personal and it's painful. Look at my third thought. Number three, uh, becoming a peacemaker means seeing the big picture. Verse three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Here's how Jesus was able to respond, I believe, in, in, in such a way. He understood the big picture. Two things that he understood. Go to that next slide if you wouldn't mind. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he understood his authority and that he had come from God and was going back to God and he understood his identity. 
I think it was these two things. Jesus understood his position. The Father had placed all things in his hands. He understood his identity, who he was, where he came from, and where he was headed. In other words, Jesus was saying, Judas, you do not define me. The failure of my disciples to rally around me do not determine my future. My circumstances do not control me. Here's something for us. The people in your life who do not agree with you do not define you. Sometimes stop wasting your breath trying to convince someone on social media to think the way you think. You're only talking to the choir. At some point, we take a step back, right? Because those people do not define you. The person that got one over on you does not hold the authority for your life. The person who betrayed you does not pin your next chapter of life. And so Jesus understood something here. He understood his authority. He understood his identity. And if we want to be peacemakers, we must understand our authority in Christ and our identity in Christ. Because you cannot take from me what I have already willingly surrendered. And that's strong right there. Can I tell you how I've made it this long as a pastor, which is an extremely painful position to be in? Because I understand that no one can take from me what I've already surrendered. And I surrendered myself to Jesus. And so that means if you need to feel like you're right, okay, I can be a peacemaker. Because you can't take from me what I've already willingly surrendered. And so Jesus understood something. Here's another thought. uh, Becoming a peacemaker requires action. Humility is a do thing. Being a peacemaker is a do thing. Count the actions uh, that, that Jesus performed. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that his time comes going back to God, rose from supper. There's one. Laid aside his outer garments. Two. Taking up a towel. Three. Tied it around his waist. Four. Poured water into the basin. Five. And began to wash the disciples' feet. Six. Washed their feet. This isn't glory work. Getting up inside the toes and all that stuff, right? With toe jam and all the cracked skin on heels of men who've worn sandals their entire lives in the desert. This is nasty. And Jesus humbles himself because humility requires action. If your leading step, if my leading step in conflict is pride, I will never be a peacemaker because I will be consumed with being right and proving my point. And yet Jesus had the ability to lower himself even when his disciples were not responding in the way that he wished they would have responded. Humility requires action. Being a peacemaker requires action. So what what is required of you today? What does that look like today? Maybe maybe today is the decision that you, today is the day that you make the decision to step into being a peacemaker. Next one. Becoming a peacemaker requires us to stop the debate. John 13, 6 and 7. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now Peter's known for his emotional outburst, right? And he's kind of wanting to debate Jesus. Jesus answered him and said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never 
wash my feet. And here we go. Peter's looking to debate. It's my opinion versus your opinion. Let's fight this out till we're right. And here's the thing. Jesus was not interested in the debate. Matter of fact, he didn't even really engage in the debate. Can I give some of us just a word of advice? Stop always feeling like you have to be right. If you want to be a peacemaker, right, pounding home your point, you might win an argument, but you're losing the battle. You're losing your reputation. And so sometimes it's just better to take a step back and say, you know what, I'm not going to enter into this debate with you. So look, look how Jesus responds. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, Jesus says, look, Pete, I'm not here to debate you. Ultimately, it's your decision. I can't make you. I can't force you to see things my way. I will not build my case with my statistics and my flowcharts. It's up to you. If you agree, enter in. If you don't, that's on you. But I'm not going to debate you. Look how Peter, or Peter responds. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. And others like, just give me a bath. Just wash me in it. So extremes. Look, uh, social media has created this environment where we feel like we are permitted to say whatever we want to say when it's hurtful and damaging to other people. And the debates are just becoming brutal today. My advice to Christ followers is to take a step out and to become a peacemaker. Because ultimately, you're not going to change someone's mind who's not interested in a healthy dialogue. If you're engaging in someone who's addicted to anger, you're just fueling the addiction. And so at some point, we take a step back and we allow the words of Jesus to penetrate. Blessed are the peacemakers. Two more points. Next, becoming a peacemaker doesn't mean that we fake it. Right? Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but catch the phrase, but not every one of you. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to wash the feet of the person who's about to betray me, but I'm not stupid. I know what's going on. I understand it. But I choose to be a servant. Even though there's someone in my circle who is not going to treat me the way I deserve to be treated. Because there was a choice there. Jesus wasn't faking it. I'm not asking you to fake it. I'm asking you to step into seeing the vision and the purpose and the ways of the kingdom of God and to allow the words of Jesus to penetrate into you and that you would begin to willingly step into being a peacemaker in 2019. Here's my last one. Becoming a peacemaker means we set the example. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You would think Jesus would say, If I wash your feet, you wash my feet. But no, no, this was a lesson in how we treat other people. And so he says, Look, if I've washed your feet, if I've humbled myself for you, even when you failed me with your bickering about who's in charge, this is how I expect you to treat others. Humble yourself. Lower yourself. Let's finish with Philippians 2.8. 
Paul is writing to the church of Philippi where he says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that would be us, right? We're followers of Christ. If there's any comfort from his love, anyone been comforted from the love of Christ? If any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in spirit and of one mind. Now catch the next part. He says, do nothing out of selfishness or ambition, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Let that sink in. Value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interests, right? Not proving your point, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. What was the mindset of Christ? Well, he goes on to explain. He says, who, being in the very nature of, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, look, has Jesus meant anything to you? Has he changed your perspective? Has he, has he accomplished anything in your life? If he has, then, then begin to allow your mind to take on the mind of Christ. Be, allow your actions to begin to reflect the actions of Christ, that your position would become his position. What was his position? He got low. And he humbled himself. You know why there's so many wars and so much strife and so much fighting? Because no one is willing to humble themselves today. Listen, let me give you advice to married men. Consider your spouse as more important than yourself. This is what Scripture is telling us. That means that you would value your wife as more important than, than yourself. Make her feelings, her needs more important than your own. Ladies, let me give you some advice. Value your husband above yourself. That you would make his needs, his, uh, 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 his, needs, his desires as more important than your own. You want the, the clue to a successful relationship, regardless what it is? It is valuing the other person as more important than yourself. And when you value them as more important than you, and they're valuing you as more important than themselves, guess what happens? Our needs are being met. And, and, and there is something beautiful that begins to happen. Being a peacemaker means we value others as more important than ourselves. It doesn't mean that their position is always right. It just means that, look, I'm going to choose to value you. And the way I'm going to value you is I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to love you even when you fail me. And I'm going to step out of the debate because I'm not going to feed your anger addiction. And I'm going to value you and how I talk and how I communicate to you. This is what Scripture is building upon. And we have an entire culture that is departing from it. And so let me end with this. Where are all of our peacemakers? Where are the Christ followers who are sowing into peace today? Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the sons and daughters of God. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible... 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some people will not want to live at peace with you. They're going to be addicted to anger, fixed on being right, and they're right. They're, they're not, but as far as it is dependent upon you, you choose to be a peacemaker. So take a moment, take a breath. Maybe close your eyes if that's what you do. Just take a moment, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to rest upon you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, settle upon us now, and I ask that you would specifically speak to us about areas where we need to be peacemakers. Now, just when you're in an attitude of prayer, I want you to be open to the leading of God. And some of you, you're getting a picture in your mind's eye of someone. Don't dismiss that. You're getting a name that just bounced into your head. You're feeling a heavy pressure upon you. Where you this, this could very well just be the Spirit of God revealing something to you for your next step. Maybe it's an area in life that just, it just flashed before your mind. Don't dismiss it. Try this. Just say, yes, Lord. Speak to me more. Holy Spirit, speak more to me about this situation. Just listen. He will lead and he will guide you. What does it look like for you to become a peacemaker in that situation, in that relationship. You are not being asked to place yourself back in a situation of abuse. But you are being asked to represent Jesus. Now, for those of you that you sense, just stay in an attitude of prayer. I won't ask you to come up, but just, show, just raise your hand if you feel the Holy Spirit has revealed something to you where you need to step in to be a peacemaker with a person, with a situation. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come up. Is there anyone? Good. A lot of you. I pray for those who are sensing the Holy Spirit right now that you would empower them with the grace to do what you are asking them to do. The Holy Spirit, that you would empower them with the mercy that is required for them to do what you're asking them to do. To love even those that fail us. To humble ourselves when it's personal and painful. Would you give us the ability to see the big picture, who we are, our identity, who it is wrapped up in, is wrapped and held securely in Christ? Would you allow us to step out of the debate, the circle and the cycle of debate, would we be peacemakers? Would you show us what that requires? That we would represent you well in a culture that is becoming increasingly angry and hostile. For we bear the mark of Jesus upon us. And we will represent him by being peacemakers in our culture, and in our families, in our relationships. 
in our workplaces. I bless you in the year to come, reveal to be a peacemaker. I bless you to experience more of the fullness of God and the purpose of God in your life. I pray that 2019 is a year of breakthrough for you. I pray it is a year of breakthrough in your relationships and in your finances and in your spiritual growth, that it is a year of movement forward. And I bless you in that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a wonderful new year. Please be safe. Next, uh, uh, next, yeah, next year, we start a new series called Best Year Ever. I uh, look forward to seeing you for that. If I've never met you, come on up. I'd love to meet you. Or if you'd like some prayer, we'd love to pray for you as well. God bless you.